welcome to Estradal Illusions. We are back from a mostly scheduled break. It's always good to take, uh, we take a little time in September to unplug. And uh, I've been working on editing a new manuscript, so a little bit busy for podcasting. But there's an election just around the corner, less than three weeks away. And I know that a lot of people think that this race is probably uh, almost near cooked, if not fully fully baked yet. But there is still uh, there are still plenty of reasons out there to go out and vote. And uh, this episode will be half a case for Joe Biden as somebody who has uh, as a progressive who has a lot of uh, rightful bones to pick with the man. But, uh, you know, this is a time to put all of that aside. And also, uh, I want to put on my analytical cap a bit and examine the Senate races because you hear a lot in the news that that Democrats are, quote-unquote, likely to win the Senate. And sitting here, I'm telling you, it is at best a toss-up, believe me. It's really... A hell of a lot. You could say, oh, they're likely, Joe Biden is likely to win in a landslide. Maybe. I mean, the polls are tightening up now. He's still got a comfortable lead. But the Senate map is uh, is tough. It's very much for Democrats an uphill climb to take the Senate. Taking the Senate is a hard thing to do. So anyone who says it's likely involves a lot of... Uh, Blue candidates winning in red states. And uh, I'll get into that a little bit, in a little bit, because I want to spend some time focusing on Joe, because as a progressive, I know how a lot of people feel. I did not support Joe Biden in the primary. There's a good chance he's honestly, of all the Democratic candidates who ran, I don't think he's even in my top ten. We had a lot of, there were a lot of actual progressives running who had a lot of great policies, and instead we have a man who's uh, approaching 80 who has really spoken about no policy and is basically running on a platform of, I'm not Donald Trump. And if you're somebody who really liked the uh, ways in which uh, candidates like Bernie Sanders or Elizabeth Warren or Andrew Yang... Uh, the way that they dove into specific areas of uh, American politics that are not working for uh, working-class people, for marginalized groups. I, uh, there, there's so many—I mean, there's so many ways to just look at Joe Biden and think, how the hell did we get here? Is this really the best we can do as the left, as progressives, as Democrats? I'm, and, and, and let's be honest, the answer to that question— Regardless of how you feel about Joe Biden is no. Joe Biden was not the best we could do. His running mate, Kamala Harris, would have been a much better choice. And I'm not even that big of a fan of hers. Joe Biden sucks, honestly. Let's just all say that. If you're listening and you're scared Trump will win, you may not want to hear that. But let's be honest. This man voted for NAFTA. He voted for the Defense of Marriage Act. If you're a, if you're a, LG, if you're a member of the LGBTQ community... If you're a gay person, that is insanely homophobic, that bill. And he was a Democrat who voted for it. It It's a Republican bill that they played along with. Bill Clinton signed it. It's a disgrace. 
It is a disgrace. He has not nearly apologized enough for that heinous act of bigotry. He voted for the crime bill. He voted for the Iraq war. <laughs> it's... <laughs> <laughs> this is. A, uh, I'm, I'm trying to convince people to vote for Joe Biden, but let's let's be serious about who Joe Biden is. Joe Biden is a creature of the Washington swamp, who has been there for a hell of a lot longer than uh, most people who listen to podcasts are even alive. So, Joe Biden sucks. I mean, let's be serious. However, and of course, everybody knew this was coming. Obviously, Trump is not even just you know. It's not even just that he's worse. He is infinitely worse. You can't even compare the two. Trump is a billion times worse than Joe Biden, who is not even, I would even probably say, is not even objectively good. I'm not excited for the prospect of a Biden presidency, but the idea that we're having four more years of this, the idea that we would have four more years of Trump, who at that point, would not have to worry about running for election ever again? I, I can't even begin to speculate how bad the next four years would be. And you could look at the last four years have been horrible. At the border, with LGBTQ rights, health care, we could lose the Affordable Care Act. People with pre-existing conditions could get royally fucked next month. This Amy Coney Barrett shit. It's, it's, it's asinine. Trump Trump is that bad. There is no comparison. And if you're somebody who, I mean, the, the whole notion of an undecided voter at this uh, late, late day and age, you know, the scene in Game of Thrones in the fifth season where, no, end of the fourth season where uh, Bran finally gets to the Three-Eyed Raven and he says, the hour is late, Brandon Stark. The hour is very late. There's no undecided voters. There are people out there who do not want to vote. I mean, I we, we voted. Uh, we filled out our ballots. I mean, California, they sent out the ballots. Uh, but I voted absentee in Connecticut for uh, a few cycles. And uh, it's a pain in the ass to go and, you know, fill out the thing to request the ballot so that you then get the ballot and you fill that out and you send that to that's a lot of steps for somebody who is uh, maybe not inclined to put in the effort. Humanity, human beings are lazy. We don't even, we don't even necessarily, technology, we got rid of DVDs because it was too much of a pain in the ass to walk over and hit the eject button on the DVR. Now we can just use Netflix and we don't have to even get up on the couch. I get it. Voting in a lot of states is hard. I, and it wasn't like the easiest thing in the world for me, and I had my ballot mailed, and I live across the street from a Dropbox. So, I feel you. We're trying to appeal to people who maybe don't want to make the effort. We're in the middle of a pandemic. Maybe you say, I don't like Joe Biden enough to go out of my way on election day to vote for him. And that's, I mean, that's essentially how Trump won. He didn't win because he won the popular vote over Hillary. Uh, his vote totals were way down. He won because people decided not to go and vote. And this this year, he is trying to screw around with the post office. And he's trying to uh, suppress voter turnout. In Texas, in Harris County, they have 
one drop-off box for 4 million uh, residents in that single county. Voter suppression is insanely real. And if Republicans win, that's how they're going to do it. It's not an open secret. And that's why if you are in a state... I mean, there's a long kind of adage of, you know, if I live in a blue state, why should I vote? It's decided. Same for red states. There's always going to be on your ballot something worth voting for. Whether it's local, whether it's a proposition... There's going to be something that is worth your time to fill out a piece of paper and do your civic duty and get your little I voted sticker. There is going to be something worth voting for. So everybody should vote. I've never bought the, you know, if you fill out your ballot in California and you say, under normal circumstances, if you wanted to vote third party. This time around, though, the Green Party... Howie Hawkins is a huge transphobe. He's really bad on LGBTQ issues. There's a reason the the Democratic Socialists of America exist. There's a reason the DSA exists, even though we already have a progressive third party with the Green Party, and that's because the Green Party sucks, and anybody who spent five minutes reading about the Green Party would know it. They're awful. So whether you live in a red state or a blue state, you really should fill out a ballot and vote. And if you live in a red state, there's a lot of senators who you can get rid of. And you may not think you can actually get rid of them. Like, I think we can accept that, that Mitch McConnell is probably not going away. But Lindsey Graham, could you could vote Lindsey Graham out of office in South Carolina. And he is chairman of the Judiciary Committee who just rammed through Amy Coney Barrett, a handmaiden for the people of praise. You can get rid of Lindsey Graham. You can send him home. And who would have thought? Any other year. But that's how unpopular he is, and that's how vulnerable he is, and that's why we need to vote. And yeah, you're not excited about Joe Biden, because why should you be? Joe Biden has given you no reason to be excited except for the baseline excitement that would come naturally as a result of getting rid of Trump. That's not... A great argument. People like to vote for something. A lot of people will vote against something. But it's a lot nicer to vote for something you actually want versus a fear of the other thing. But we know how bad the other thing is. We know how bad Donald Trump is. He is the worst president in modern history. His level of corruption knows no bounds. He doesn't care. He likes demanding loyalty pledges from members of the federal government. He has people who work in the White House sign non-disclosure agreements. Those are not, that's not allowed. You shouldn't be, nobody does that. If you want to write a political tell-all book afterward, you know, you work in administration, you do that. No one will probably hire you again, but but have at it. You can't legally block that. That's just such bullshit. That's just what he does. Because he doesn't care. Joe Biden's not going to go around doing that. Okay, that's probably not like the absolute greatest case for Joe Biden. But uh, here's a good one. Uh, coronavirus. 
practically every other big country has gotten this under control or at some point in time had it under control. And I'm, I'm looking kind of at the UK here, which is in the middle of a second lockdown. Canada! Everybody knows my, uh, my mother's side of the family is from Canada. I love Canada. Canada's a great place. Canada doesn't have, Canada has, I don't know, maybe like 10%, roughly 10% of our population. They, they do not have just 10% of our coronavirus cases. They have far fewer than that. We are doing horribly with coronavirus. And it's because we have an idiot in the White House who says, why don't you inject some bleach? He's, he, he's, he's mocking Joe Biden because Joe Biden says he'll listen to the scientists. And that's where we're at. Is not like Joe Biden's sitting there with a ton of plans. What is a great Joe Biden policy? Hmm. You may not know that. We don't even know Joe Biden's position on court packing. And to some extent, I think he doesn't want to say it because he thinks it might be unpopular just for him electorally, but it also could be unpopular. It also might be irrelevant because winning the Senate is going to be very, very hard. And I guess maybe that's a uh, good point to talk specifically about the Senate. Then we'll go back to arguing about why you should vote for Joe Biden. But, I, you know, actually, before we switch gears, I just want to say something. There is nothing worse than somebody telling you, you should vote for the lesser of two evils. Because in your head, you think to yourself... Well, if it's the lesser of two evils, that means that it is inherently still evil. And most people don't like to vote for evil things. Hillary was an awful, 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 awful candidate. I hate Hillary Clinton. And I, I don't think much better of Joe Biden. Although he was ahead of the Obama administration on gay marriage. So I'll give him that. In terms of major Democratic politicians to come out for in support of gay marriage, I think Hillary was honestly like last. She was behind Obama. She was behind Biden. She was behind her own husband, Bill. Not a progressive dude. I mean, Bill is basically, or Bill and Hillary are both basically Republicans, and Joe Biden is not that far behind. If he didn't love Amtrak so damn much, he probably, he really would, would maybe even be further to their right. Although, I mean, Clintons are extreme. Clintons aren't too far from John Bolton on foreign policy, which is scary. But not to harp on Hillary. But I'm somebody who saw her lost coming from a mile away, specifically in the states of Michigan and Pennsylvania, which I'm very worried about now. Although I, I, I don't think Michigan will go for Trump. Pennsylvania, I mean, with, with their Supreme Court, with... Um, they they rejected the um, mass mailing out of, of ballots to every registered voter. Pennsylvania, their Supreme Court said, not the Supreme Court, but the Pennsylvania Supreme Court said that that was not allowed. So there's going to be a lot of votes that are disqualified. And there's probably going to be some shenanigans around that. So Pennsylvania is scary. Demo I mean, maybe maybe Joe Biden can win back. Uh, I mean, he's he's got probably firmly Philly under his grasp, but uh, Pittsburgh's a different story. In 2016, around, I people were idiots for not looking at the steel country in uh, Pittsburgh and thinking that they were truly pleased with uh, what Joe Biden took part of in his last administration. People are worried. 
And how much does coronavirus change that? I don't really know, but it's it's scary to think about. And I I don't want to harp too much on uh, what would have been different if we'd had a different candidate, but because uh, we are where we are. But I mean, they're they're not running the greatest campaign. It's it's boring. Uh, the uh, the ABC town hall last week was uh, comfortably boring, refreshingly boring. So boring that you uh, you watch SNL and uh, Jim Carrey is doing his Joe Biden impression. That's basically him doing Ace Ventura doing Joe Biden. And it's 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 not funny, and it's also just not at all reflective of reality. Joe Biden is, I mean, in some extent, it's kind of nice to go back to a uh, sleepy presidency that's not tweeting at three in the morning. Or even tweeting at all, really. It'd be nice to have a president who has somebody in the comms department do their tweeting. But here we are. So to touch on the Senate, I have it nice and marked for uh, people who don't want to listen to Joe Biden rants. If you're just joining us, welcome. The Senate. You need, if you, assuming Joe Biden wins the presidency, you need 50 seats. According to the Real Clear Politics map, there are their baseline projection, assuming everything that leans them holds, that they probably have 47 seats compared to the Republicans, 46 locked up right now with seven true toss-ups. And within that 47 for the Democrats are Martha McSally's seat in Arizona, which isn't even really her seat because she was appointed there and will really go down in infamy in Arizona Republican politics as, as the worst candidate ever. She was in the 2018 race for to fill uh, Jeff's, Jeff Flake's seat, who was retiring and not running for re-election because he's a coward and would uh, tweet, tweet against Trump, but usually supported him, including Brett Kavanaugh. So Kirsten Cinema, a bisexual Democrat, picked up in deep red Arizona, which I think will go blue. I think Demo- I think Arizona will go for Biden. Now, I've spent a fair amount of time there the past two years. I had many surgeries in Arizona. I think that's probably safe. So within the 47 projected sort of safe Democrat seats are pickups in Colorado and Arizona. Cory Gardner is expected to lose, and Martha McSally is expected to lose. However, and this is where it gets tricky, the seven toss-up seats that will decide who controls the Senate are all of them, every single one, with the sole exception of Susan Collins, who's been around since the 90s, and that's kind of an asterisk. I, I emphasize every single one, like, really hard. Uh, Maine has a second congressional district. So it's a blue state with little tinges of red. There are seven toss-up seats, and that is that is the safest blue of them all. And Susan, I mean, it is very, very hard traditionally to unseat an incumbent. Now, Susan Collins has been getting a lot of shit. Over the years, rightfully so, she goes, I'm troubled by Trump. I'm not going to do anything. I won't vote to impeach him. I will vote for Kavanaugh. Uh, She's only really bucked him on uh, Obamacare 
uh, saving the Affordable Care Act, although not the uh, not the individual mandate. She tanked that, which could tank the whole bill next month. As part of, uh, she voted for the GOP tax cut, which was done under budget reconciliation, which got rid of the individual mandate, which laid out the groundwork for the 6-3 Supreme Court to get rid of it. So, I mean, she really does support Trump. So we'll see how that goes. Uh, Sarah Gideon is a great uh, candidate there. Uh, Maine, Maine has to be a blue pickup or they don't win the Senate. That's, I, that's pretty safe to say. But from there, it gets a little trickier. So of the seven toss-ups, there is... So there are two Georgia seats that are up this cycle, which is rare. Generally speaking, states don't have two Senate seats up, but because Johnny Isaacson retired due to health problems, uh, they have to defend that seat. Uh, Kelly Loeffler was appointed to fill that. So, and that election is actually taking place on, oh, that is taking place on uh, November 3rd as well with the other, with the other race. Because of Georgia law, which is nice. David Perdue is also running for re-election. He is the other uh, senator from Georgia, and he had been elected to that position. So th- there's a couple uh, spots where Republicans are defending seats that uh, have appointed people to the positions. So that would be Arizona with McSally, uh, Mississippi with Cindy Hyde-Smith, who replaced the absolute ancient Thad Cochran, who, has, who had died. Yeah, I mean, we should really stop putting these. The, we should, it, it should not be like mainstream acceptable for people like Diane Feinstein, who are as old as shit, eighty-seven, to stick around there. It's just, it's, it's awful. You look at her and Chuck Grass. I mean, give me a break. But anyway, so Georgia has two Senate seats up, and Georgia's and Georgia looks bluer and bluer and bluer. What would have been really nice is if Stacey Abrams had not pretended she had any shot in hell at getting VP and just ran for Senate there. But uh, John Ossoff, who made a lot of waves uh, early in the Trump cycle uh, for running against Karen Handel, uh, he is running a pretty good race against uh, David Perdue. So uh, we'll see how that goes. It'll be certainly pretty interesting. But... The fact that Georgia is being viewed as a toss-up is uh, both a sign of how bad this race is looking for Republicans, but it also essentially could be kind of a feint because you shouldn't sit there and predict that Georgia is going to go blue. It could. It certainly could. But I don't think it's likely. And Real Clear Politics has... Georgia 1 viewed as a toss-up, but not Georgia 2, which doesn't make any sense because how many voters are going to go there and vote for one Republican, one Democrat? If you read my book, The Transgender Manifesto, you'll note that uh, I, at one point, was covering in a, in a section that was designed basically to determine how politically viable transgender issues were to the electorate. I noted that in 2016, their idiot, 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 Governor Pat McCrory lost re-election in a year where Trump won North Carolina and Richard Burr won re-election. And 
I mean, North Carolina is considered a toss-up. They do need... Tom Tillis is up for re-election there. He's very unpopular. He's so unpopular that the Senate Democratic candidate, Cal Cunningham, was caught sending very mundane but just, like, cringy sexual messages in an extramarital fashion. Of course, we have we have Trump, who's cheated on all of his wives, and uh, if you're an evangelical scoffing at Cunningham while you vote for the pussy grabber, we I mean, you're not listening to this podcast by a transgender woman, so fuck you. That's, that's fine. We can say that. So, of the seven toss-ups, there's... I mean, they list... They're listing seven as toss-up. This this list is... It's our... I mean, you, you can't list one Georgia toss-up, but not the other. So, let's just leave that there. Um, then there's Iowa. We have Joni Ernst, who's in the race of her life. I mean, Iowa... Iowa's a weird state. Iowa went for Trump. It likes Joni Ernst. It likes that ancient battle axe, Chuck Grassley. But... They did go for Obama, and they could very real go for Biden. They have been hit with Trump's trade wars. Uh, she could lose. She could lose. I'm not going to tell you it's likely. I'm skeptical. But that is a that is an area where the Democrats need to pick up. Are they going to pick up? That's really, it's an open question. And I don't think it's a, you know, the people say, oh, the, taking the, taking the Democratic, uh, taking the Senate is likely for the Democrats. P- plenty of people say that. If you ask those people, is Joni Ernst going to lose? I don't think they would say that's likely. So if you're going to say taking the Senate is likely, you have to be able to tell people which of those races you think will actually flip. Because also listed in a toss up is the aforementioned Lindsey Graham who is uh, uh, the Democratic challenger, Jamie Harrison, has run a spectacular race. And I know a lot of progressives are like, well, he's a kind of a, he is a corporate dem, and he's an establishment dem. But you watch the man speak, he knows how to run a race in South Carolina. So kudos to him. I hope he wins. Is it likely that he's going to beat Lindsey Graham? Let's be serious. No, it's not likely. It is possible. Doug Jones only won in the uh, race to replace uh, Jeff Sessions. Uh, He only won by like 50,000 votes, and he was running against a credibly accused child molester. He only narrowly squeaked out a win against the child molester. Lindsey Graham in South Carolina, which is pretty red. I don't think it's likely that he's going to lose, but they listed as a toss-up, so... If if it's likely the Democrats are going to, to take the Senate, one of these people who I don't think is, is likely to lose has to lose. Now, we can accept that there, there's going to be a couple upsets this race. There's going to be something that we can't predict. I don't have a crystal ball. But this stuff is scary. This race is, this race is going to be close. I already talked about Collins. Uh, the Michigan race is listed as a toss-up. Gary Peters, who's a Democrat, is is not really that well-liked. And he's running against uh, John James, who is a Republican, African-American. Uh, he's running a good race. Uh, I think it's probably pretty safe that Peters wins. I think it's pretty safe that Biden wins Michigan. 
I mean, that's the other thing. Split ticket voting happens probably no more than around 7% of the time. 90% of, 93% of people, upwards of 93% of people will just vote one party down their entire ticket. So, and, and, and that matters when we're talking about, about Senate races because in presidential years, it's very hard to find cases where, where you have a presidential candidate from one party and a Senate candidate from another party winning the same state. That did not happen in 2016. It does happen, you know, uh, midterms where person from another party wins. That certainly happens. It doesn't happen all that often. So if you're digging around for toss-ups and they're all red states, I don't think Joe Biden's going to win South Carolina. So if Lindsey Graham loses, it's going to be pretty historic. And betting on historic things to happen is tricky. Like, for example, North Carolina... It does seem likely that Biden will win in North Carolina and therefore Tom Tillis will lose his Senate seat, a Republican, to Cal Cunningham, the extramarital texter. We'll see. Um, now there's the Montana race, which is uh, very interesting because you have Steve Daines, who is not the most popular Senate senator in the world, who's a Republican. And he's running against the outgoing governor who's term limited, Steve Bullock, a Democrat. Steve Bullock ran a short, unspectacular Senate uh, presidential campaign in 2020. He didn't want to run. And then Chuck Schumer reportedly called him up and said, it would be really great if you ran. He could win. That could be one of the rare cases where Trump is probably going to win Montana. But... It's possible that the outgoing governor wins. I mean, we saw a similar dynamic, not identical, but uh, in 2018, outgoing Florida governor Rick Scott, who is a, I think he's an asshole. I mean, a lot of people think he's an asshole, but he's he's a good he is a good campaigner, and he was able to uh, beat Bill Nelson, who is an anemic, awful candidate who you could see was going to lose from a mile away. However, Florida went for Trump in 2016, so we would here be hoping that a popular Democratic senator beats a Republican senator who's not all that popular. However, it's in a presidential year. It's tough. It is uh, not a sure thing. Basically, all of the toss-ups. And then Another one to look out for, which could be interesting, is Alaska Dan Sullivan, who's a Republican. Uh, the race there is not super, super close. Um, some polls have Dan Sullivan up by five. That's kind of a good segue into another uh, point of this podcast, which is to examine the exact we'll say the exact ballpark so that's an oxymoron but uh i guess you probably understand what i mean of the uh the trump bump the hidden trump vote the people who lie to pollsters and say that they're supporting 
because they don't want to. Uh, they're supporting Biden, be, but they're really supporting Trump. But they don't want to be viewed as racist. I can't tell you what the Trump bump is. I can tell you that, of course, it exists. We saw that in 2016, and only an idiot would really deny it. Some of these pollsters who want to defend their uh, defend their business, naturally, I guess, uh, they're kidding themselves. Of course, there are people out there who, who uh, pretend that they don't support the president because they're worried it's taboo. You wear a red Trump hat around your California or a place like that, you're going to get people are going to yell at you for a good reason. I support that. But we shouldn't pretend that it doesn't exist. However, there's really no... There is... It's possible that the Trump bump could be six, seven, eight points. However, there is no data that backs up that idea. It is more likely... If you looked at how the polls were off... And kind of a great thing about 2016 was... For people who are predicting it and gambling on it, uh, like me... If you were looking at the race and you were trying to find, uh, there were points where uh, Predict It was taking bets for you could you could buy a share of Trump winning for like eight cents of of a race that's essentially fifty fifty. And if you looked at the Senate races in all the swing states, every swing state had a Senate race in twenty sixteen: Florida, North Carolina, Mich not Michigan, Wisconsin, Pennsylvania. All of them were showing the Republicans either up or basically neck and neck. And Trump down like four or five points. And if you know that split ticket, split ticket voting doesn't really happen, there's something clearly obviously wrong about those polls. So we do have some data to suggest that there could be a three to four point bump that is the so-called hidden Trump vote. So if Biden is leading by eight points, uh, if you want to believe that that it's off by eight points, I mean, go right ahead. However, there there is no broader data to suggest that there is no error of we, we, we just haven't seen polling be that that wrong. And obviously a poll taken now races Titan. Of course, we're in a pandemic. And that's kind of. That's that's the scary part of this that we need to think about. If you're somebody who's a progressive, who is really not excited about Joe Biden for reasons that are rational and and valid and just, uh, I'm not here to chastise you. And there are so many people out there who want to do that. You know, they want to shame you. They want to shame you and make you feel bad bad for not wanting to support a bad candidate and I'm biased I'm a transgender woman I have a lot on the line here I am very worried about where the court will take LGBTQ rights I'm worried about healthcare protections I'm worried I, I, I've been on estrogen I, I don't have like the Transitioning for me was a one-way ticket. I need HRT. My body, like, if I don't have estrogen, I'm in deep trouble. I, I literally, I don't, I, I have less testosterone in my body now than a cisgender woman because I don't, my body doesn't naturally produce it any, like, all, 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 all bodies, cisgender, uh, men and women, 
produce some extent of testosterone, but I don't have any balls anymore. So if I have no hormones at all, it's going to be bad. I'm very worried about four more years of Trump for that specific reason. And all of you have pre-existing conditions, which is a lot of you out there. You have plenty of reasons to, to be legitimately worried. And if you don't, if your life's fine, if you think that it's all okay, I'm not going to pretend like I'm going to be able to persuade you. But there is a sliver of the electorate out there that maybe just doesn't care about voting. You think he's going to win? So you think your vote doesn't matter. Every single vote matters. I said it before. There's got to be some race there. I mean, part of, part of the great problem of the consolidation of the news media into these massive conglomerates is they focus disproportionately on national, really national presidential politics. They cover a few of the Senate races, but they're not diving down. A, a reporter will say it's likely for the Dems to take the Senate, but they won't go into the nitty-gritty of what would it take to do that. And I think that if you go and you think about what it's going to take to take the Senate, you can't really come out with the it's likely scenario. Because they have to run an inside straight. And is an inside straight luck? You know, is that possible? Of course. Is it likely? I like to think for reasons outlined that uh, it's probably not likely. It's possible. That is as far as I would go with that in mind. Now... It's scary. You don't want to vote for a lesser of two evil. Maybe you just want to sit this one out. Please, 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 please do not sit this out. I say that as, as somebody... I hate, I hate the narrative of Joe Biden is a decent man. He seems like a very... Like I, I know people who, who have worked with Joe Biden who, who, who know Joe Biden... Uh, they they do genuinely believe he's a decent man. I have not met him. I, I cannot fully comment on his character. However, I will say, I'll say this. His voting record in 40 years in the Senate is not decent. It's not. He has a bad record. But, and this is the important thing. If you're a progressive who hates Joe Biden, doesn't want any part of voting for Joe Biden, you should still vote for Joe Biden because the pres progressives you do believe in, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, Ilhan Omar, the squad, all sorts of people, great progressives, bright future. These are This is the future of the Democratic Party. Ayanna Presley, uh, Rashida Tlaib, uh, great, great congresswomen. Um, I, I, I love their energy. It makes I was I, you know you know to see to see their exposure and all of that. I was under Ocasio-Cortez's primary was decided by like fifteen thousand votes. That's hustle. That's the power of a single vote there. And I would love it if the DNC uh, featured these women instead of uh, relegating them to practically nothing at the DNC. It's a disgrace. It's an insult. They should be ashamed of themselves for trying to push back uh, really one of the more genuinely exciting uh, segments of, of the Democratic Party and certainly of the progressive movement as a whole. The mainstream Democratic Party does not like the squad, 
but helping the mainstream Democratic Party does help you help the squad, and I'll explain why. In 2010, there was a wave election that led a ton of new Tea Party Republicans, the whole nonsense Glenn Beck movement. They got into the House of Representatives, and they formed the Freedom Caucus. People like Mark Meadows, Gymnasium Jordan, uh, far, far, far fringe right people, awful people. I hate practically all of them. Terrible people. However, this started as a fringe movement that could basically do nothing except, you know, cause that idiot government to shut down along with Ted Cruz. But the Freedom Caucus grew. And once you're in a caucus that has like 20 people or so, that's where you have power to sway legislation because your votes are needed typically to get things over. There's a lot of bipartisan legislation, but generally speaking, the bipartisan legislation doesn't necessarily happen until it's clear that one side has the votes to get it over the line anyway. And that doesn't happen all the time. Um, you know, you can certainly, uh, Nancy Pelosi and the whips in, in Congress will, uh, there are instances where you'll uh, try to get legislation passed by essentially appealing to the centrists of both parties. That does happen. It's not super duper likely. And if you're if you follow Senate politics a lot, you'll know um, literally like 10, 10 seconds after Susan Collins said she would support Kavanaugh, thereby giving him the votes required needed to pass. Joe Manchin followed suit right after. He didn't say he would vote for Kavanaugh before Susan Collins did, which would have left her off the hook. He waited. And we don't know how he would have voted, but we do know that he waited until the last possible minute, which is telling you something. He maybe would not have voted for him if that was the vote that got everything over the finish line. Broader point being, the squad is, is less than 10 people now. But it's not unrealistic in a 400-plus uh, body that we get a couple more progressives. And if that number grows and we get like 15 or so, which is not outlandish. There's a lot of progressive places in the country. You can get a lot of progressive Congress people over the finish line. We see that from 2018 to now. Cory Bush is probably uh, going to get elected. That's absolutely fabulous. Progress is made incrementally. And people hate that word incrementalism because it's, it's, it's lame. And nobody... You know, they say, go big or go home. Nobody says, go small and stay in the race longer. <laughs> Nobody says that. It's true, though. It's true. Movements grow. Change doesn't happen overnight. I see all these Green, green Party people are like, oh, we need, we need revolution. Good luck with that. It's never going to happen. What, but, and, and, and that can sound defeatist and demeaning. But it's not, because I can, I'll tell you what will what could happen. What could happen? We get enough true, viable progressives into Congress. They start having an effect on Nancy Pelosi and her, all oh, her old, I mean, God, look at people like Steny Hoyer, who it looks like he died in the 90s and his corpse has been rotting in, in Congress for the past 20 years. He's just, he's terrible. 
Pelosi. I, I can't stand Pelosi, but guess what? It doesn't take that much more to get rid of her. We just have to keep plugging along. And you can't keep pl- plugging along if you don't vote. The Freedom Caucus was irrelevant in 2010. Well, they start a couple years later. They, they, the people who were elected who founded the Freedom Caucus were irrelevant when they first got there. Not in, in just a few short years, they were able to really make Paul Ryan and, to a lesser extent, John Boehner's life a living hell. And if you support the Freedom Caucus, that's really great. Obviously, for the rest of us, it's not so great. But on the left, we can actually, I mean, we can learn things from their success. And that's why, regardless of how you feel, if you live in the bluest of blue states, there's something you can do by voting. And you shouldn't get all... I mean, these some of these political campaigns, they go on for like a year and a half. And then your candidate loses, and it's... I was really upset when Bernie lost. But that's not the end of the movement. If you look at him, he's going... He's probably doing more to get Joe Biden elected than Joe Biden is. And people say, oh, well, he's, you know, just doing that because he's a Senate. He, you know, he wants to maintain good relationship. Well, maybe he does. Or maybe he, he, he sees how further to the left the mainstream Democratic Party is than it was four years ago. Bernie Sanders did that. We may not be swimming around in tangible, viable victories from that, but there are, there is progress And you cannot empower the squad. You cannot empower the progressive movement unless you put somebody in the White House who's going to invite them into the room. The room where it happened. Hamilton. All that kind of stuff. It's true. The Freedom Caucus was hated a few years ago. Now one of their co-founders is the White House Chief of Staff. Joe Biden is an old man. Joe Biden has a lot of unpopular policies. Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez can get in the White House. She can go in there and she can fight. She can't do that right now. I mean, she wouldn't want to go in there and get coronavirus anyway. But the way you empower progressives is you put them in positions to succeed. Standing back and letting Trump get reelected achieves nothing in that regard. Nothing at all. So, I mean, if, if, if that is your single reason to, to go and vote, that's a good reason. You should go and do that. If you care at all about court packing, you should go and vote. I, I don't think from right now, from where we stand, I don't think court packing is viable right now because I don't think they have the votes. I don't think they'll get the votes. I think it's too far away for that to happen. I think they need too many pickups. If it's a 50 or a 51 majority, I think a guy like Joe Manchin in West Virginia can screw all of that up. And I'm wor- I'm really, really, really worried about it because I want court packing more than anything. So I'm worried. I'm worried and I'm scared. And I've already voted. And please, I implore you, you may think voting stupid. You may think this is a rigged democracy. I mean, it is. It, the, the car. It's not a fair. It's not a fair deck. This is not land of the free. It's. It's not. 
Jeff Bezos has more wealth than basically anybody in history, unless you want to like go back to the ancient Egypt and calculate the inflation. He he he's Amazon, Facebook, those should all be broken up. It, it's absurd that they're not. And maybe, maybe someday they'll get broken up, but we have to do the work to get rid of them. And people, you know, your your vote alone is, is not enough. That's probably true. But everything else that you do is, is, is not all that relevant if you're going to be one of those people that says, well, I don't need to vote. It doesn't matter anyway. Voting is, is, is quite literally the least you can do. I think Joe Biden will win. I think he'll win Michigan. I, I'm very confident he'll win. I'm very confident he'll win Michigan and Wisconsin, which eases. And if he wins Arizona, then I'd have to look at the map. Right now. He's looking like he's going to pick up, uh, in addition to Maine, Nebraska has a uh, split congressional district, so he could pick up a vote, votes there. I'm thinking it's pretty likely that he's going to win without Ohio, and maybe he'll win even without North or uh, without Florida, assuming he wins North Carolina. There are a lot of mat, uh, paths to victory for Joe Biden. There aren't a ton for President inject everybody with bleach, uh, who's who's presided over his handling of the coronavirus is. A fuck up on the scale, uh, really, that, that will cost him the presidency, most likely. That doesn't necessarily mean that the idiot turtle in Kentucky, Mitch McConnell, won't retain his majority. And if he does retain his majority, then uh, there's, there's not a heck of a lot they can do. We need to get rid of the filibuster, and we need to pack the court. That can't happen without the Senate. So please, 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 go out and vote. Please. Especially if you spent all this time listening. Fill out your ballot while you're listening. I, I, know, uh, I know a podcast can't change the world, but um, I hope my analysis has given you kind of a, a better uh, grasp of, of where the race is, where it could be, and why complacency is not a good idea. Don't rest on your laurels. This race isn't over. It's far from over. There's still a lot we can do. So please, 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 please go out and vote. Convince your friends, your family, fill out some ballots. I don't think I should say fill them out for them, but nudge them. I'm not sure that's legal. Maybe it is, maybe it isn't. Not endorsement of that, but get them to the polls and get them voting. And stay safe, everyone. And thank you so much for listening, and we will see you next time.